Hello, Anza Valley. I'm here with Roy again, and we're talking botany and local plants. Um, Roy, what would you like to speak about today? All right, thank you, Aaron. I, uh, I'd like to continue uh, my talk on uh, the Burbank plums. In fact, that's the area of my current research, is trying to find the lost uh, Burbank plum varieties, of which a number, approximately 100, this includes uh, plum cots, that was his plum and apricot uh, crosses, which turned out to be viable uh, and produced yeah. good fruit too. So, that sounds yummy. Right, uh, Burbank was the first in modern times that I know of to uh, successfully cross plums and apricots at a time when he was told it was not even possible. So um, I've later learned that the Shah Kar Paré uh, plum of uh, Iran is a naturally occurring plum apricot hybrid, but as far as modern times goes, uh, Burbank was the first and was told it was not possible. So, um, and here again with uh, the Burbank plums, he had read, let's see, he had read something about uh, the blood plum of Satsuma. So his interest was, uh, was piqued by this story about a sailor describing a plum from Japan that had this uh, dark red flesh. And so uh, this is going back to, I think, uh, again, the importation was, the first importation was 1884. Uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the, that importation of plum seedlings didn't work out too good. So he uh, requested a second shipment, which arrived in late 1885. And there's some discrepancy as to, uh, he said, in the 1914-1915 in the 12 volume set, which is like a semi-autobiography, was edited by three people plus Burbank's input, uh, the narrative explains that there were 12 seedlings uh, that came from Japan and that two of those uh, turned out to be exceptionally good and that uh, one was named Satsuma after what was then the prefecture of Satsuma and, and then the other was called the Burbank and so it was the Satsuma uh, plum that had the red flesh. The Burbank plum uh, has, does not have that dark uh, red flesh, but rather, uh, I believe, a yellow, yellow flesh inside. So, and then the other narrative uh, is found in uh, Peter Dreyer's book, A Gardener Touch with Genius, The Life of Luther Burbank. Uh, in fact, for interested readers, uh, they may want to check that out, the new and expanded edition, which includes in the back... Um, the booklet by Professor Howard of UC Berkeley, who spent around 20 years compiling all the introductions that uh, Burbank had uh, had introduced during his lifetime, and then uh, that in turn was published in 1945. And I've been using it as a guide to find uh, the missing Burbank hybrids. Uh, it's a very uh, valuable document to me, and it's uh, it's reproduced in the book called *The Gardener Touch with Genius* by Peter Dreyer. But uh, getting back to the other story about the plums, Peter Dreyer's book says that uh, there was a memorandum found on Burbank's desk that said that there were 12 varieties imported that year, 1885, and that there were 100 plants of the Satsuma and 10 plants of each of the others, and that uh, it was from that that he actually got uh, the Satsuma plum and later was known as the Burbank plum. So. Um, so Luther Burbank also used a large number of uh, plums that were native to the United States, uh, found wild, found uh, growing wild, like the Prunus uh, subcordata, Prunus being the genus name of uh, 
the class of fruit we know today as plum, plum or prunes, and then um, subcordata, prunus subcordata uh, grows wild in, uh, in Northern California, so he used it and a number of other uh, wild plums to produce all of his plum varieties. And it's neat, there's a wide variety of colors and flavors. Uh, one of his um, plums he introduced as the Egg Bartlett. The name was later shortened to just the Bartlett Plum as a very unique flavor suggestive of uh, the pear of the same name, the Bartlett Pear, so uh, hence the name. And uh, what has happened uh, in the intervening years since Burbank's death is that, uh, and even during his lifetime for that matter, is that a large number of other names have been used to describe a single plum variety. So he writes in that 1914-1915 autobiography about how a plum he had introduced from Japan, which he called Abundance, also uh, was given the names uh, Botan and Botankyo and Chase and a number of others. And the same was true for uh, at least 20 additional plum varieties that Burbank had introduced. Uh, the persons that they were sold to put their own names on the, on the plums. And uh, so there's a lot of confusion. Uh, as far as abundance goes, there's also an abundance plum cot. So not only does the abundance plum have a multiplicity of names, but there is also uh, a whole another fruit, which is a plum apricot hybrid called abundance. And as time has passed, I have found, like for example, uh, his Victory Plum, there is a newer variety also called Victory, and the same is true for, uh, for his roses. Some of his roses, like Peach Blow, which was introduced in 1893, there was a, a more modern uh, Peach Blow introduced by uh, Coddington in, uh, I believe, the early 1940s. So uh, not only do we have multiplicity of names to deal with, we have the same name being used for different plants really adds to the confusion but uh, you know growing up I really enjoyed doing jigsaw puzzles and in addition to my great love of growing plants uh, all this Burbank research to me is uh, like a giant jigsaw puzzle so I like spreading the word about his uh, great accomplishments and encouraging others uh, including those at a talk I gave to the California rare fruit growers to look for uh, and possibly even import uh, his varieties from other countries, uh, particularly, uh, lucky for us, English-speaking countries. Uh, a number of his plums, for example, since we're on the plum topic, went to New Zealand, uh, they went to South Africa, some went to England. So um, I've done a lot of literary research and I've checked uh, the book Cornucopia II, which has a nice write-up plums, including the Burbank plums, at least some of them, and um, I'm, I'm hoping to see uh, those plums such as Doris, which was introduced in 1894 uh, and did go to uh, New Zealand, reintroduced into our country, um, assuming that it's not already here, but it would be nice to get those plums back under their original names. In fact, uh, the Black Doris, which is a uh, a seedling of the original Doris is an extremely popular plum in uh, New Zealand. So and then uh, Luther Burbank's plum called Apple, uh, it's a red plum, has a squat shape and a stocky uh, stem, uh, greatly resembling an apple, hence the name, went to South Africa and was said to have been planted abundantly. So I do, I do believe that uh, it 
and others like the original Burbank plum, which I checked recently uh, online, is, is still widely grown in New Zealand. It was also sent to South Africa. So, um, you know, maybe you have friends or family that are going to make some trips soon, and uh, they might be interested in uh, securing some of these, uh, these lost plum varieties that we can trace back to, uh, to Burbank's work on plums. Now, uh, I should also point out uh, prunes. Um, prunes typically uh, refer to the European plums. They're, they uh, typically can be dried without rotting and made into you know, what we know as the prune, but prune um, typically refers to what is known botanically as prunus domestica, which itself, by the way, may be a hybrid of wild occurring species uh, in Europe, but uh, what is today known as Prunus domestica. So, um, and, and Burbank did develop uh, several prune type varieties. He had his sugar prune, he had uh, one he called Splendor, that was one of his early ones. I have his sugar prune. He also developed a prune called the Standard which was a cross, a result of a cross between the sugar and uh, a prune called Tragedy. Uh, Tragedy prune is still grown in New Zealand today, and there's also someone who was a member of the Seed Savers Exchange who has it, uh, someone uh, based in Oregon. So uh, it's still around. Uh, so, and then uh, he uh, had developed his pearl, his one called Pearl, it was a uh, yellow, uh, lighter colored. Uh, uh, prune. Now, in his writings, in uh, Volume 5, uh, incidentally, of his 1914-1915-12 volume set, uh, concentrates primarily on his uh, plum developments up to that time. And, um, in fact, there is also the discussion of his, his four best plums, that those being uh, Santa Rosa, introduced, I believe, 1906 or 1907, and then there was Formosa and Beauty, and one called Wixen, named after Professor Wixen, which was first named Perfection. So I have Perfection. Uh, I obtained it recently. It hasn't fruited for me yet. Uh, what I do is uh, is graft a lot of these um, uh, scions onto existing trees and wait for the fruit to ripen, uh, hoping the critters don't get to them first. And I pick the fruit as it, as it ripens. Put them uh, put the fruits on a piece of uh, printer paper, for example. Uh, write the names underneath and the date at the top of the paper and just uh, take a picture and then cut the plums open to show the insides because frequently the color on the inside is different than the, uh, the skin color and take a second picture and I think in the simplest terms uh, that works very well in helping to uh, get a good idea because with that method uh, one will know the date that the fruit was ripened and the outside color and the inside color, so uh, it's a very convenient uh, way to to uh, compare and contrast the various plums. And then, uh, especially uh, those which uh, now have provisional names, I acquired uh, a plum variety called Top of the Hill from Goldridge Farm uh, in Sebastopol. And I have a hunch uh, it's the same as the one we know today as the French Improved. And the reason for this is Luther Burbank introduced a prune called Miller, was the name he gave it. 
and the person he sold it to changed his name to Morgan Hill for the place that he lived at, um, and then it was later changed to French Improved, or vice versa. So uh, I do think that Top of the Hill is an allusion to uh, to Morgan Hill, and uh, the fruit ripen at the same time, and it looks the same exterior and interior. So, so this is the the method that I use to to try to figure out. Um, these uh, these plum varieties, which I acquire under different names. Another example is one called Lieb. There was a judge Lieb who uh, was impressed by Burbank's work, and so um, Luther w had this uh, prescient ability to look at a seedling. He can tell by the arrangement of the leaves, the stockiness of the seedling, uh, the stockiness of the leaves, and its its rapidity of growth. And he could make a prediction based on just what he saw in the uh, lot of seedlings and could tell whether or not it would go on to uh, become a commercially viable plum. And that's what he did. So he actually uh, let uh, Judge Lieb take home uh, some seedlings that he said would be super good and some that he said that would be worthless. And to Judge Lieb's uh, amazement, Burbank was right. So um, anyway, that plum uh, today is known as the Lieb. Um, but uh, the, I did require, acquire a plum called Lieb, but the inside was not the same. It should be more yellow. It looks more like uh, a Satsuma or something of that nature, maybe Sultan. So anyway, um, it's a puzzle. I'm trying to figure it out, acquire the, the material, grow it out, and uh, make a determination based on my own observations. It does help, by the way, to have copies of his old catalogs. I have a lot of good material already with Professor Howard's compendium, that is a 1945 compendium. I do have the 1914, 1915, 12 volume set. I do have a large number of photocopies of his catalogs, but there are more out there. For example, at the USDA facility in Beltville, Maryland, they have uh, several uh, of his old catalogs. The Huntington Botanical Library uh, has a few, and I've had the good fortune of making copies of those. I have not actually uh, had a chance to get out to, uh, to Beltville, Maryland to, uh, to review the uh, Burbank catalogs that they have in their collection, but uh, it does help a lot. So, um, I uh, made a trip to the uh, National Clonal Germplasm Repository uh, at, at Davis. It's actually the uh, this refers to the the Prunus uh, inventory that is held by uh, our government, and uh, it's actually physically located near Winters down the road from Davis, a few miles. I was up there in July of 2011 and went through all the plum trees and sampled the fruit. It was uh, really good. There was one variety there called Sans Noyau. And pardon my French, please, if you'll excuse my French, uh, but there was uh, a wild uh, prune growing uh, in France that Burbank had heard of uh, called the Prunier uh, Sans Noyau, uh, meaning uh, stoneless or, uh, or partially stoneless. And uh, he had uh, sent for uh, material of this, and he grew it at his place. It was a, uh, a shrub-type uh, wild prune-type plum that, uh, like as I said, grows in France. Uh, and it was notable because uh, it was partially stoneless, having about uh, one-half to two-thirds of the stone. 
And so I'd like to quickly point out that stoneless does not mean seedless, as I wrongly assumed for a long time. Uh, stoneless means there's no stone. There's still a kernel, an endosperm, if you will, on the inside. And so uh, what Luther Burbank wanted to do was breed a class of plums or prunes, if you will, that had no stone. So you can bite right through the, uh, the plum if you wanted to without injuring uh, yourself, wrecking your teeth, for example. Um, so this is what he began work on, and um, there was his early success uh, was called the miracle. It was a uh, it's called nowadays the original uh, stoneless plum, and it was rediscovered by the late uh, Lon Rombo or Rombau, uh, who's a grape expert in Oregon, and there was some doubt as to whether or not. Um, it was uh, the original stoneless um, plum, but I checked the, uh, the literature. The original stoneless plum was not 100% uh, stoneless. There was still a little sliver of a stone, but uh, it was so remarkable for its time that uh, Luther Burbank went ahead and released it anyway. In fact, to, uh, there was a, a nursery company in Oregon, a representative of that company really liked it and was really excited about it, so it was heavily promoted in Oregon in the early 1900s. And in fact, that's where uh, Lawn found a uh, remaining tree was up that way. So um, I do have it. I'm growing. It's it's a rather small, um, it's a small plum. And so that was used in turn to develop uh, another one that was later named uh, Conquest. That is virtually truly stoneless. There's uh, just a speck of a stone according to the writings. And it is the one that is. Um, was labeled sans noyau in the um, in the orchard, the National Colonial Germplasm Repository Orchard in Winters. Uh, it's given the name Davis, but it's actually located uh, near Winters at the Wolfskill Experimental Station. So uh, it was neat. I uh, harvested a fruit and uh, bit right into it and it tasted great. And sure enough, there's no stone inside. But uh, it's not the original sans noyau. It's mislabeled. And so again, uh, trying to determine the uh, the puzzle. One has to go through all these names and, uh, and reconsider the literature and uh, see what the words tell you and match it up with the present reality and then go with that and uh, try to figure it out. So uh, that was a notable uh, plum or prune type plum actually was his, uh, his conquest. That was It's a real good one and it's still around. So I'm real pleased to say that I've tasted it too. Um, and there are others. Uh, there was the, the Bartlett already mentioned. The, uh, his in Burbank's estimation, his four best plums were the uh, the ones of the uh, primarily the Japanese origin, being or uh, influence Japanese plum influence being the Santa Rosa and uh, Beauty, Formosa, and Wixen. So, uh, a lot of good stuff. There's more out there. I am still searching, uh, especially like old homesteads, um, places along highways. The buildings are no longer there. There's a place along Highway 50, Northern California, about three miles east of Kybers, at uh, a spur of a forest service road called 11 and 50. Uh, my aunt and uncle live up that way, and uh, took me on a little ride, a little trip up there to stop in, and I, I harvested some cyans and grafted those on trees at home. And the resultant fruit is a very close match to uh, the plum cot he called cherry. It's a plum that only measures about one inch across. It is red, 
and looks uh, all the world for the picture shown in his 1914-1915 uh, uh, volume uh, of the one that he called the Cherry Plumcot. So uh, maybe there's a way to make a, a better determination if there's some surviving herbarium specimen of his original Cherry uh, Plumcot or some other way to actually pin it down and say that that, that is for sure the one. So. So here and there, there are some exciting finds. Uh, I do think this is an opportunity for uh, young and old alike, if they know of uh, places to find old plum trees, which typically live longer in Northern California. I was told they go about 60 years, whereas they will last in Southern California probably around 30 years. Uh, it's colder farther north and there's more rain, so uh, typically they'll, they'll last longer uh, up that way. And I do believe uh, there's a lot more to be found but it's going to take some sleuthing uh, to find these plums, and uh, it's exciting. So, yeah, so uh, given uh, that area and given the other countries, uh, I think it uh, will not take long at all to uh, find the majority of uh, Burbank's lost plums. Uh, another example is one in the system called the San Jose Field Station, and I had uh, done some reading, and it turns out there was a plum that he developed called East, that was sent to San Jose uh, and was grown there extensively. So uh, it's a little premature, but uh, it is possible, at least uh, based on the literature, that the plum today known in the NCGR system as San Jose Field Station, it is possible that it could be Burbank's East plum. So uh, let's see, we had... Um, a lot of plum varieties covered already. The stoneless plum, uh, his prunes, his, uh, his Japanese uh, importations. Uh, some of the early ones that were already around were Kelsey and, and uh, Chabot. Uh, those were already being grown at the time. And additional research has turned up that there were actually a number of other plums that were already being grown uh, before Burbank's arrival. But, but uh, Burbank did extensive hybridizations was able to produce some uh, magnificently looking and magnificently tasting fruits. In fact, the first time I saw a shiro plum, which is a yellow Japanese type, I was blown away. It was as if the plums were glowing on the tree when I saw the, uh, the fruits uh, in, uh, on a farm in uh, Sebastopol, a place that sells bamboo. It was amazing. So I uh, think it's a, it's a real treat to see these old varieties and to grow them again. Okay, so if any listeners out there have any interesting plums or are interested in this jigsaw puzzle of plums and Luther Burbank, you can go ahead and get a hold of Roy. Roy, what was your ad email address again? Okay, it's my name. It's R.H. Wiersma. That's R-H-W-I-E-R-S-M-A at AOL.com. And you can also email us here at Programming if you're interested with talking with Roy or if you have interesting information about his cactus, his plums, or anything else botanical. That's Programming at 963koyt.org. And I hope you've enjoyed this informational and educational show. See you next time.